If you've been with us the last month or so, you know we've been trying to land the plane in 2 Samuel. We were going through First and Second Samuel before COVID, and we stopped about a year ago um, in March, and we've been trying to pick back up to where we were, which is Second Samuel chapter 11. And really today, we finally caught up in that review, but Second Samuel chapter 11, in case you don't know, is the story of David and Bathsheba. And I felt like on Mother's Day, that's probably not the best story, so we have to press pause there, and we'll pick that up next week. And so I decided I'd just revisit this story in 1 Samuel, and contains one of my favorite characters, Abigail. Abigail reminds me of Hannah. If you remember Hannah in the very beginning of 1 Samuel, she's the first person on the scene. And the reason she reminds me of, of Hannah is Hannah is a small character on a stage with large personalities. And yet her, her entry into the story changes the course of events. And Abigail's the same thing. She's a, she's a small character from the world's eye viewpoint, and she comes on the stage and maybe like a little little rudder that steers a, a great ocean liner. You see these great cargo ships that come into the port. Comparatively small little rudder directs that whole ship, and she's like this little rudder. She comes in and she directs the course of events, uh, especially for, for David. And one of the reasons I picked this out was not just because she's my favorite character, but the way she operates is so often how mothers operate in a family. They come in at just very precise moments. And at a key moment in the life of a child or the life of a husband or the life of a family, they, they say something, they insert themselves And that relatively small act turns out to be big because it shapes the course of a child or the course of the family's direction. So just to frame the story, chapters 24 and 26 uh, are the two chapters, obviously, uh, on each end. And they're basically the same kind of story. David has been running from Saul. If you remember, Saul is the king. David has already been told by Samuel that he's going to be king. But at this point, Saul's the king, and Saul has decided to kill David. And so for 10 years, David's on the run, basically living in caves. And he's just sort of going cave to cave, and Saul keeps chasing him. And you have one of these uh, encounters in chapter 26, verses 7 through 11. So let's just turn the page and look at this little encounter, which is very indicative of also what happens in chapter 24. So David and Abishai, David's right-hand man in this little event is a guy named Abishai. They're being chased by Saul, and they go down to Saul's army. You see there in verse 7. At night, and they sneak into the camp, and there lay Saul sleeping. And Saul's got his spear stuck in the ground right next to his head. And Abner, who is the right-hand man of Saul, he's laying on the ground next to him. So you can see this seems like a perfect moment. David and his man have sort of snuck into this camp, and Saul's asleep, and the, the general for Saul, he's asleep, and the spear that Saul uses is, is stuck in the ground. Verse 8, then Abishai whispered to David, I'm assuming, 
God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear, and I will not strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, As the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or in his day he will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but now take his spear at his head and the jar of water, and let's go. Abishai is whispering to David, this is, this is our chance. God's going to make you king. Let's not wait on God, though. Let, let's take matters into our own hands. Let's accelerate God's plan. Let's go ahead and put Saul to death. Isn't it, isn't it very tempting, especially when you're under pressure, especially when you feel harried, like living and going from cave to cave, when you hear whispers, take matters in your own hand. Let's just accelerate what God's going to do. I mean, I'm sure God wouldn't mind. Let's just go ahead and get our hands involved with it and let's just direct the course and accelerate God's timetable. And I love David's response as the Lord lives. See, the Lord is living. He's active. He's not somewhere else. The Lord will strike him or on his day, his day, he will come to die. So he's, not, he's going to die without my help here, Abishai. Forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. I'm, I'm not going to take over. It'd be foolish to try to accelerate God's timetable here. And the same episode basically happens in chapter 24. So in chapter 24 and chapter 26, we have this moment where David comes. He's under a lot of pressure, and he withdraws from that pressure in a wise way to say, I'm not going to accelerate God's plan. I'm not going to take things into my own hands. I'm going to step back. And it takes an enormous amount of of self-restraint. Okay, you got that? That's the frame. Now, if we had time, we would try to ask an application question like this. Is there some place you are taking God's matters into your own hands? Any place you're trying to accelerate what God is doing? We don't have time to sit there, but just in case you have time this afternoon, chapter 25. Then the writer inserts in between these two stories a different story of Abigail and David. Very unusual story. And I just want to kind of go through the chapter and let's read about what's happening here as we look at chapter 25. Let's look at verses 2 and 3. And there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich, and he had 3,000 sheep and thousands of goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the, man of the, the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful. She's beautiful inside and out. But the man was harsh and behaved badly. His name means he was a fool. Nabal was wealthy. He was well-known. He was a businessman. He, but he's a self-centered fool. But the one thing Nabal has going for him is he's got a good wife. 
Abigail. That's always a good thing to have going for you. And Abigail, as we said, she's, she's beautiful inside and out. She's noticed the word discerning. That's going to come up later in the text. She's wise. She's the hero of the story in chapter 25. And it's interesting to me in the book of Proverbs, probably you know this, wisdom gets personified. And how does wisdom get personified in the book of Proverbs? It's always the same way. As a woman. Just give you an example, Proverbs 8. Does not wisdom call out? Does not wisdom raise her voice? Lady wisdom in Proverbs. She's the one who's constantly calling out to the young man who's reading the book saying, walk this way. Wisdom is always seen as a woman in Proverbs. So you're not surprised when you turn to Proverbs 31 and you don't find a real person. You find lady wisdom personified as a woman. And she collects all the wisdom from Proverbs 1 to Proverbs 30. And she is the Proverbs 31 woman. This is the kind of person you want to be if you've been reading through Proverbs. You want to be like this woman. Every man or woman would want to be like this person because she has uniquely collected all the jewels of Proverbs. And now she's living it out in a life. Verses 4 through 9, David and his men who previously had helped protect Nabal's livestock and his men, now they're hungry and Nabal's throwing a feast because it's the end of this uh, season and David asks for some help. It's a pretty reasonable request. I've been helping you out. I don't even know if you know I've been helping you out, Nabal, but I've protected some of your men. I've protected some of your flock. We're out here running around hiding in caves. Could you just, in your feast, give us some food? It's a reasonable request. And here's Nabal's foolish response, verses 10 and 11. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? See, he knows something about him. There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. You hear that? He knows about David. David's breaking away from Saul. He's not unaware of David. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who come from I do not know where? So David gets his response back. This, the, the, notice Nabal's sort of greedy business-like attitude. It's my bread, it's my water, it's my meat, it's my shearers. He's all about Nabal is for Nabal. So David's servants hear this, then they go back and tell David, and here's my question, how do you respond to a fool? Some of you are saying, I had to figure that out this week. (laughs) What's the best way to respond to a fool? Well, we have Proverbs 26 to help us out. Answer not a fool according to his foolishness, lest you become foolish. That's the first half of the verse. The second half of the verse, answer a fool according to his foolishness, or he's going to be wise in his own eyes. Well, I'm asking myself, well, which one is it? Am I supposed to answer the fool And then become foolishness, or am I supposed to answer the fool? Because if I don't, he's going to think he's really smart. And the idea here is this is a book of wisdom. It can't tell you which one to do in every circumstance. There are some times you want to answer a fool. There are some times you don't want to answer a fool. You have to use wisdom to figure out which one of these it is. 
And David, unfortunately, he chooses the wrong one. He decides to answer a fool and he becomes, he nearly becomes foolish himself. Look at verse 13 and his response. <clears throat> and David said to his men, every man strap on a sword. Okay, we got trouble right here. Every man and every man of them strapped on a sword and David also strapped on a sword. And there were about 400 men that went up after David. Look with me at verse 21. And now David said, Surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that, he, that belonged to him. And he has returned to me evil for good. He's a fool. God do so to the enemies of David, and more also, if by morning I leave so much as one man of all who belong to Nabal alive. You hear that? This is, this is red lights going off. Whoop, whoop, warning, warning, massive overreaction. David doesn't get a burger and fries, and so David's going to kill everybody. This is just a massive overreaction, and I'm wondering if you've felt that before. Something's happened to you, and you're angry, and, and, and this last thing is sort of the straw that breaks the camel's back. And there's no processing. There's no praying about it. It's just, I'm going to go out. Let's strap on a sword. And I'm ready to rock and roll. And I'm going to get my 400 men. We're going to go just destroy everything. Who is David turning into? Saul. Nabal. He's turning into a fool. We see it here, right here before our eyes. And now... Right now we have two problems. We have Nabal's foolishness, and then David adds a second problem, his foolishness. Now I've said this many times, many times. You, you can't let a, a difficult situation drag you in so that your response now becomes maybe even bigger than the problem that actually started the thing. Have you ever been in that situation? I know you have. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. Because I know you've probably done it, and it's been done to you. There's a problem, and now somebody's way overreacted, and now we have two problems. We have the original problem, and we have your massive overreaction. And so often, the, the massive overreaction dwarfs the initial problem. The initial problem is just a hamburger. And now we have death to everybody that's connected to Nabal. It's possible. It's possible that anger unchecked. Foolish anger. Even just understandable anger could spill over and scald an entire family. A church. A community. It's very possible that that kind of anger, which could be understood, we understand why David would be angry, but he acts foolishly. He becomes part of the problem. Don't, don't compound the problem by your reaction. Think, think, just think for a moment how much pain you could have avoided in your lifetime if you hadn't overreacted. Inserted into this Boiling cauldron of male ego is Abigail. She's a star. 
She's somebody everybody needs to focus in on and say, okay, let's watch Abigail here. She's the one who we want to follow after. She's, she's not a foolish. She's very brave. She's very savvy. And she delivers a PhD in leadership to these two men who are supposed to be in leadership. And again, I love this picture because so often this is how moms orient in a family. I'm not saying you, but maybe you have two kids that occasionally act like fools. So often the mom has to come in and say, okay, now let's calm down here. Let's be reasonable. Let's try to navigate something. Let's, let's lower the temperature in the room. Abigail finds out about Nabal's foolishness and David's anger, and she decides to insert herself, verse 14 through 31. She acts like a little rudder. It's going to steer this in a different direction. And I just want you to notice her savvy tactics. Learn from them. Especially how to lead when you're not in charge. Verse 18. When, then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five, she, five sheep already prepared and five salahs of parched grain and a hundred clusters of, mat, of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and laid them on the donkeys. And she said to her young men, go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. What's she doing? She knows these men are hungry. And in order to get an audience before them, she's got to satisfy that initial hunger. Very smart just to say, let me provide something. Let me get on your side and know that I'm for you. I'm trying to provide something for you. I'm trying to hear from your perspective so that eventually you can hear from my perspective. Very savvy, very savvy. In verse 23, it's my favorite verse here. When Abigail saw David, so now she's behind the food, and she comes in after they're all chowing down. When Abigail saw David, she hurried. She got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground, and she fell at his feet. Abigail, in this scene is the only one not acting like a fool. Her husband's acting like a fool, and David's acting like a fool. And instead of standing up, what does she do? She humbles herself, falls at David's feet. Now, what does this remind you of another place in the New Testament? where all the men in the room are acting like fools. Every man in the room saying, who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? Very foolish kind of conversation men often get into. This is happening in the upper room. You remember? Jesus' disciples are saying, well, who's going to be the greatest? Because I think something's about ready to break open. I want to make sure I elbow you out, John, so I get right next to the right-hand side. This is a totally foolish conversation. And at that moment, what does Jesus do? The only person not acting like a fool, what does he do? He gets down on his hands and knees and washes the disciples' feet. It's it's an incredible moment. And Abigail is a little sliver of what we're going to see in Jesus a thousand years later. Incredible, incredible moment. Many times without saying something, the way you physically respond 
and just begin to lower the temperature in the room. Verses 28 through 31. She chooses her words carefully. She's so, so smart. She speaks David's language. She speaks in a way David can hear. In this sort of sword-rattling world, she uses words to change directions. Again, so often like a mother. Let's just listen again to her speech, and you'll pick up on some of these things. Please forgive the trespass of Nabal. For the Lord will certainly make my Lord. So the Lord, capital, capital L-O-R-D in your Bibles, that's God. For God will certainly make my Lord David a sure house. Because he's fighting the battles of the Lord. And evil shall not be found in him as long as he lives. And if men rise up to pursue you and seek your life, if the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living care of your God, and the lives of your enemies, notice this, shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he's already promised that you're going to be prince over Israel, then you're not going to have any grief, cause for grief or pangs of conscience because you acted foolishly right at this particular point. Beautiful speech, verse 28. David, she's saying, remember who you are. The God, God is going to make you a sure house. Remember the kinds of battles you're called to fight. You're called to fight these epic battles against, against the spiritual forces of darkness, not against these small battles against fools. He's, she's speaking his language. He knows this language. Verse 28, 29. David, your life is bundled together, I love that, in the living care of the Lord. And notice, the lives of your enemies will sling out. What's what's she reminding David of? David and Goliath. These enemies, you know, because God's already done it. And and these enemies, they're going to sling out. Verse 31, don't don't take vengeance. Don't try to work out your own salvation. Let let God be in charge. This This is such great counsel. The advice Abigail delivers to David is the same advice David delivered to the soldiers. In verse 26, David, you know it. You've said it before. You had a chance to take a foolish action and you told your friend not to do it. I'm just telling you the same words. Such, so, so wise. Such a great, great counselor. Abigail, listen to Eugene Peterson's uh, point here. At this moment, David is full of himself and empty of God. And Abigail recovers God for David. This is great counsel. When you're, when you're working with a person or trying to help a person, you're trying to recover God for them, them. Remember who God is. Remember what he's already promised. Remember all the treasures are, are yours. Let's just remember these things. Now, when you're just about to make an emotionally charged, foolish decision, the question is, can you hear wise counsel? Let's just try to think of the picture here. David, he's, got, he's all strapped up. 400 fighting soldiers. These are hardened men. They've been living in the desert for 10 years. They're hungry. And they are racing with hearts beating, 
blood pumping, and they're on their way, and they're only going to feel satisfied emotionally if they can put somebody to death. And insert this woman who, in the world's eyes, she's nothing. She gives him some wise advice. And oh, how easy it would be for him just to trample right over. When you're, when you're hungry, angry, lonely, and tired, H-A-L-T, can you halt and stop and listen? Thankfully, David does. David's response, so such an important turning point, verse 32. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Your discretion is better than mine. This is a very humble thing for a king to say. To somebody he's never met, from the world's eyes look small, in front of his 400 friends to say, I was wrong. For surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from hurting you. See, I would have, I would have hurt you unless you hurried, unless I see that you hurried to come and meet me. Then David received from her hand all that she brought, Go up in peace to your house. See, circle this. I have obeyed your words. This is a very humble moment for David. Epilogue, verse 38. Ten days later after the Lord struck, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. Ten days Ever try to accelerate God's plan and just going, if I just waited one week, if I just hadn't taken that in my hands, I wouldn't be in this mess right now that's now going to shape the rest of my life. If I could have just emotionally somehow stopped myself, if I could have listened to that advice that my wife gave me or my mother gave me, if I could have just stopped and said, okay, I'll just, I'll just at least stop and wait. That God would work it out in a way that you could have never done yourself. Think, think about it. David had been mistreated. He and everyone knew, including Nabal's wife, knew that Nabal was a fool. David felt justified for taking the action. David had 400 men that agreed with him. It would have felt good to take Nabal down. And at a crucial moment, God inserts a voice of a woman, maybe a mother. Abigail gives us another shadow here of Jesus. She stands between the wrath of a king, David, and a fool. And who does she plead for? She pleads for the fool. And that's what Jesus did. Stands between the wrath of a justified king, not a foolish king. And fools. And who are the fools? I hate to tell you. You and me. And he pleads for the fools. I'm married to the fools. 
one wise, courageous woman, she inserts herself at a crucial moment. Thank you, mothers. Wives who often do the same thing. You may feel like a a little person on a big stage of grand personalities, but your entrance at a crucial moment redirects the course of a life of a child, a husband, a family. Many times you'll find yourself in this place, charging forward, trying to accelerate God's plans, trying to take things into your own hand, acting foolishly, overreacting to a situation. And God inserts someone like a pastor in a sermon. Or mom. Or coach. Or teacher. Family member, a friend. And says to you, you know whose you are. Don't go that way. If that's you today, turn around. Let's pray. Lord, I'm so, so thankful for this story inserted in, in between 24 and 26. And we get to see this bright light of Abigail. And oh, how we could benefit as a church, as a city, as a country with more and more Abigails. People who have courage but are wise as they insert themselves into difficult situations, difficult conversations with a family, with a church, with a nation, and can lower the temperature, can speak the truth in love. So would you help us to be those kinds of people, to recognize our tendency towards foolishness, to stop, even if it's just for a few moments this morning, to listen, to be redirected in your ways.